0: You know, as a church, we uh come together and, and that last song we sang, Raise a Hallelujah, it's all about praising and celebrating what a good God God is. And uh as a church we have a number of things to celebrate. Uh we want to celebrate last week. Uh we had a young man who's just sitting right over here, a Jackson Sailor, and Jackson was baptized into Christ. And um following both of our services. Yeah, yeah, so we can, uh, and, and here's a few pictures of him being baptized, and and I hope it's okay. Can I share what you emailed me? Okay, I never really got permission, but I never got, got that response back, but uh, I asked for permission. But this is what Jackson said to his parents as they were driving home after the baptism. He says, when you come up from the water, you just feel new like you're starting over, but not feeling bad for how you were before. And I thought, I think Jackson gets it. And so praise God that God is a God that makes us new and that he forgives and we can have confidence of that. And then last night we had two more people were baptized, Chris and Kelsey Distel uh, were baptized here last night. And uh, so we rejoice with them as they also experience that new life in Jesus. And their little girl, their little girl Brooklyn, uh, was witnessing the baptism. She's about two or three, and uh, she said afterwards, she says, "Mommy and Daddy got baptized." And so I thought, yeah, that's that's a new way to say it. So we've got a lot to be thankful for here, uh, how God has blessed us as a church and continues to bless and be at work. And, and yet, you know, as a, as a church family, uh, being a part of a family, you come together and you celebrate those highs, you celebrate those victories. Uh, the Bible says celebrate with those who celebrate, but also it says to weep with those who weep. And in, in the course of any uh, family, there's the good times, the bad times, and it's important to be there for each other. And the same is true for us as a church family. This past week, we had a tough thing happen in the life of this church. Uh, a very dear, beloved member of this church, a member of our creative arts team, uh, died suddenly of an apparent heart attack, and that's Craig Toto. And... Um, and so that, that, that's tough. It's tough when somebody so young uh, dies, what seems from our perspective, uh, far too, too soon. And obviously, we're deeply sad. We rejoice that, that Craig was in Christ, and because of that, we've got peace. But we're sad. Our hearts are broken for his wife, Dana, and their children, Vincent and Mia, And the entire DeToto family. And so you can see on the screen the plans this week as both the visitation and the funeral service will be here at the building. And there's also opportunities for those of you who would like to serve the family, meet some needs. There will be a meal prepared for them uh, after uh, everything's over on Friday. And so you can see the contact info to connect and be a part of that. Let's pray and just pray, thanking God, but also praying for those who are hurting. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that you're a good God. You're a God that's always at work, even when we don't understand what's happening or why it's happening. And Father, we pray that even from our story, from the scriptures today, that we'll just be reminded that even when we don't understand, we can still trust you. And so, Father, we, we just want to lift up uh, the DeToto family, Dana, Mia, Vincent, give them strength, give them comfort and peace. Be with those in this church family that are hurting because of a dear friend who passed so quickly. And help us, Father, just to find strength in each other, but find strength in you. Father, we know that you are a good God and we know that you're a God that's at work and we pray that today through the message, we'll just become more convinced of that and take heart and take, just place our hope firmly in you. That's my request for this message, that that'll accomplish that for every person that's here. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our sixth through eighth graders, as we have a class for you in the student wing, and you can be making your way there now. This weekend, we're concluding a message series entitled "This Is Us." Now, I wanted to, uh, before we get into this final message of this series, that uh, that I think is really timely. This. Uh, I wanted to make sure I let you know that next weekend we're kicking off a new message series entitled Simply Jesus. You know, this year we've talked about a number of things. We've talked about starting off the year, talked about uh, living a life of adventure like the early Christians. We talked about being generous people. Through this series, we talked about the importance of having healthy, good relationships with each other and with others. Uh, But as we near the Easter season, uh, and and approach Easter, uh, we just want to get our focus back on simply Jesus, and I want to encourage you to be making plans to come back next week, but also be inviting others to come. We're going to approach this Easter a little bit different than we've ever approached it uh, before, and because of that, we think this would be a great series to invite our friends, our neighbors, our family members, that maybe don't normally attend church, but invite them to come to just learn about simply Jesus leading up to Easter. And we hope you will be here and you'll invite others to come and join you as well. Yet today we're wrapping up a series of messages that look at relationships through the lenses of looking at some of the classic relationships that are recorded in the Bible, specifically the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. In Genesis, we see a number of these classic relationships, and we've tried to uh, learn from them throughout this series. The first week, we talked about Abraham and Sarah and how that they uh, had some trust issues, even with each other, and and that through learning to trust God, they also learned to trust each other. Then the next week… We talked about their son Isaac and how unfortunately he repeated some of the same family patterns and some of the flaws of Abraham, his dad, and we talked about that and how that sometimes families can repeat uh, uh, the patterns if we don't intentionally try to break some of those patterns. And then last week we talked about how that then Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau, really struggled. They wrestled even from the womb in their relationships with each other. And yet, it was through Jacob wrestling with God that he found some direction uh, for that relationship. And today, we're going to wrap up with one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, as we look at Joseph and his brothers, his siblings. So we've just called this the Sibs because in each of these stories we see ourselves and that's why we've entitled this playing off the TV show but also this is us i mean this this is us too in our relationships now today we're going to look at abraham's great-grandson as i mentioned the 11th of 12 sons of jacob a guy named joseph now joseph is a fascinating character in the bible in fact, the book of Genesis, about a third of this first book of the Bible, uh, is about Joseph. Okay, so he's a pretty important guy for us to understand and take to heart some lessons we can learn from his life. And yet, when we first are introduced to Joseph, uh, we're introduced, we're told about his birth in chapters thirty somewhere in there. But in thirty-seven, we're introduced to the young Joseph and his grandiose. Dreams. And if you're taking notes, you might want to mention that at the beginning here, we see that Joseph is got some bratty arrogance. Okay, now some writers, uh, as they describe Joseph, I read one book where a writer said that Joseph's the only character in the book of Genesis that that there's nothing negative said about him. But yet, as I read his story, I, I find him a bit brash, uh, a bit uh, bratty, a bit arrogant when we first meet him. And I think that that's a reminder that we all have some rough edges and God takes us where we are and he molds us and he does that with Joseph. So let's read about this, this bratty arrogance we see in Genesis 37, beginning in verse two. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers. You see, his 10 older brothers had the same dad but a different mom. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any other, his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. There's a lot in that paragraph. Let's see if we can unpack it. The first is there's this word report that that Joseph's reporting back to dad things about the older brothers. The word report here is used in other places of the Bible that can even have this idea of false slander. You see, there's no question that Joseph is a bit of a tattletale little brother, okay? He's telling on his older brothers. And and I thought about, you know, in most families, when they're siblings, there's that tattletale, okay? And because this is you know, time changed Sunday, and I know that some of you are lost an hour of sleep. I want to get a little participation here, okay? So I want to ask if you had siblings growing up, or maybe you didn't have a sibling but you had some close cousins, okay? It, I want to ask, did you have a sibling, someone in your family, uh, not you, but someone else that was a tattletale? Raise your hand if you got. Oh man, we got a bunch of people. Okay, now let's be honest. How many of you were the tattletale? Okay, oh, we got some of those too. All right. I have to admit, I was the tattletale. I have two older sisters. When they were in their teens and starting to date, I was about eight, nine, and ten. And when boys would come over to the house, I would be that little brother sneaking behind doors to see if I could catch them kissing. I was the tattletale, okay? That, I was that little brother. In fact, I might, uh, you know, and sometimes when you tattletale, there's some hurt feelings, right? There's some stuff that goes broken in the midst of it. We see that with Joseph here. And, and I might need to send this message to my sisters just to make sure they've forgiven me. Uh, but, but what do we see? We see a bratty little brother. Now, Notice something else in this text. You might want to underline the phrase, which is very telling of this sibling relationship. It says that they couldn't say a kind word to him. Wow. What do we see? This relationship has disintegrated into where there's nothing good said between the, this, this, this group of siblings and Joseph. It's broken relationships. Now, Jacob, I think, the dad had made a mess by showing favoritism toward Joseph. He demonstrated this by treating Joseph as royalty and giving him a beautiful robe, or as some translations might read, a coat of many colors. Or as Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber described the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Now, parents... Don't show favoritism toward your kids. And teens, if you are the parent, I mean, not the parent, (laughs) obviously not. Well, maybe, I don't know. Well, we won't get into that. (laughs) Teens, if your parents show favoritism, then don't rub it in because that's not gonna go well for you either because it certainly didn't go well with Joseph as we'll learn as we keep reading. Okay, in Genesis 37 verse 5 Joseph doesn't get it, okay? He just keeps bringing it on. Verse five, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. Now, we won't take time to to read all about the dream, but you can read about it. But it says they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Now, as I said, we don't have time to unpack these dreams, but if you were looking at a children's Bible, you'd maybe see pictures like this where Joseph is is surrounded by sheaves sheaves of wheat where they're all bowing down to him, or Joseph is this this one with the sun, moon, and stars all bowing down to him. And the result of Joseph telling these dreams that the sibs hate him even more. Now, I think this is an example of where just because you know something to be true doesn't mean you have to necessarily say it, okay? I believe that God did give Joseph this vision. And yet, Joseph probably could have just kept that to himself, but he boasted about his brothers, and the result is they hated him all the more. Well, as we keep reading, we find Joseph's brothers are jealous. So our next observation is jealous bro- brothers in the beautiful robe. In Genesis 37, verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, and who could miss the amazing Technicolor dream coat coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached them, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Verse 23, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now, this is a pretty ugly scene. Brothers have turned against their youngest brother. They're planning to kill him. Definitely broken relationships. Now, if the 10 older brothers had taken a personal strengths test or maybe a spiritual gift inventory, I'm not sure that any of them would score very high on mercy, okay, right now. But probably the one that would score the highest on mercy is the guy we're gonna read about next, a guy named Judah. He probably would score the highest on practical thinking too because listen to what he said. In Genesis 37, verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt." Now, I want you to store away a thought here. The brothers are angry. They're jealous. They hate him. They want to kill him. They throw him in a cistern. I'm picturing Joseph down in that well, hearing all that's going on up above. And right before he's snatched out and sold into slavery, I have to think that one of the last voices he heard was his brother Judah saying, Let's not mess with killing him. It, it, this is going to be a mess. Let's sell him. Then we can at least get a profit from him. I'm thinking that's the last thing maybe Joseph heard one of his brothers say. Well, with that said, I definitely think we can see that with the jealous brothers, Joseph's braggadocious. Uh, approach there. There's a there's broken trust here. Trust is truly smashed. Now, in an amazing twist, Joseph is sold to some Ishmaelites who are the descendants of Esau, and, and is actually uh, and taken to Egypt as a slave. As time passes, and we're skipping a lot of really cool stuff. By the way, if you've never read this story, man, it's a great read. There's all kinds of drama. There's all kinds of mystery. How's this going to play out? Genesis 37 through 50, fantastic stuff to read. But Joseph ends up a slave. He's falsely accused of a crime he never committed. He's innocent, but even though he's innocent, he's imprisoned. And through a plot twist, uh, including some more dreams, uh, From a royal official in the Egyptian government, the next time we pick up the reading, we'll find that Joseph has been elevated all the way from slave to prisoner. Now he's elevated to second in command of all Egypt. The top official in Egypt was called Pharaoh, the king. If there was such a role, Joseph would have been called vice-Pharaoh, okay? He was second only to the king himself. But he was described as a governor, so when we pick up the reading, we read about Governor Joseph and a silver cup, which is an interesting part of this story. Now, over time, this all happens, and then we pick up the reading, and we find out that what's happened is there's a famine that's hit the whole region of the world. Okay, now, Joseph, because of some insight that he received from the Lord, he knows that this famine is going to last for seven years. And so he instructs and advises Pharaoh to save up the grain so that they can have enough food to last through the famine. Egypt's the only one that has food. So as the famine continues to to wreck the countries around there, uh, Jacob and his family there in what's today is modern-day Israel, which was named after Jacob, as his name was changed to Israel, uh, they, they send, uh, Jacob sends his 10 older brother, uh, 10 older sons, excuse me, to Egypt to get some food. So let's read what happens in Genesis 42 verse three. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. Since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt, And in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. It sounds like one of Joseph's dreams, doesn't it? His brothers are now circled around him, bowing down. And yet Joseph doesn't reveal his identity Joseph is an official in the Egyptian court. Uh, undoubtedly, he dressed like an Egyptian. I mean, as I thought about that, I could, kept hearing, you know, a song, walk like an Egyptian, okay? But he, he would have dressed, he would have acted like an Egyptian. The brothers come in, he recognizes them, he knows who they are, but he's not yet ready to trust them. He's not ready yet to reveal his identity, now, through the interrogation, he gets them to communicate that their dad is still alive, Jacob. That's good news for him. He finds out that his younger brother, Benjamin, is still alive, but dad wouldn't let the younger brother make the trip. He gives them some food, and he, he sends them back out to, uh, back to their dad to take the food. Now, honestly, as I've read this, this story in the past. As I see this kind of this cat and mouse game that Joseph plays with his brothers, I've even wondered at times, is he kind of being harsh? Is he kind of, he's playing with them here a little bit. But I think it's important for us to remember, put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. The last time he had been around his brothers, they were trying to kill him. He doesn't know if he can trust them. So he's not yet ready to really reveal who he is. And because of their action, he's had to go through a lot of tough stuff in life. He, was, he lived as a slave. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned. And so he does eventually give him food, sends them away. But he says, if you ever want to come back and get some food, you got to bring your youngest brother, Benjamin, with you as well. Well, they go back. After a while, the famine continues they run out of food. Jacob says, you got to go back to Egypt, get some more food. And they said, we can't go without Benjamin. He resists them. Finally, he sends Benjamin and, and they arrive. And it's really a cool scene because Joseph has them sit in the birth order. And they're going, "Woo! how did he do that? how do he know our order of birth? And then since favoritism runs in the family, he gives Benjamin five times the amount of food that he gives his other brothers. And with that said, then we read this in Genesis 44. When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry, and then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack, along with the money for his grain. So Joseph sets it up to look like the youngest brother, Benjamin, has stole his silver cup. Joseph then sends some Egyptian guards after him. They they grab the brothers, bring them back, and then they discover that Benjamin has the prized silver cup. And Joseph said, well, he's the one that has to go to jail. With that, something significant happens in the story. In Genesis 44, verse 18, Judah, remember that guy? Judah, the brother, Judah stepped forward and said, please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. What do you see? Here's what I see Judah has changed. A younger Judah was upset with a favored son, so upset that he sold him to slavery. We fast forward all these years later. Now Judah says, I couldn't let this happen to my dad. In fact, instead of putting him in jail, put me, I'll take his place. I I find that fascinating. Judah has changed. You know, sometimes... We have someone in our life, possibly a sibling, that's broken trust with us. And here's the struggle. When somebody's broken trust, when someone has has acted in such a way, behaved in such a way, maybe for years that we couldn't trust them, then we, we come to church or we hear these messages about being willing to forgive, and you think, oh man, can I forgive this person that's betrayed me? And we struggle, can I forgive? And then sometimes we get confused because we kind of link forgiveness and trust together. I think that's a common mistake. What I want to do today is I want to help make a distinction for you. There's a distinction between forgiveness and trust. You see, we're called to forgive, but we're not necessarily called to trust everyone. You see, some people are un—they're not trustworthy. And yet, the truth of it is, even with a non-trustworthy person, if you're holding a grudge in your heart, if you're holding resentment, you're just going to make yourself sick. We talked last week about that, that resentment is that poison you drink and think somebody else is going to die. It just ends up eating you up. And the truth of it is, got to let go of that resentment. You know, think about Jesus when he's on the cross and the people are crucifying him. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I don't think that means that Jesus trusted them yet, but Jesus had a forgiving heart. And he teaches us to have forgiveness in our heart toward even those who've wronged us. That's tough. But there's a distinction between forgiveness and trust. You see, forgiveness is something we give. Forgive, we give forgiveness. Trust is something that's earned. Trust is something that takes time to rebuild. And it's okay to forgive someone, let go of the resentment, but still not trust them. Because maybe they're not trustworthy. I think that's part of what's going on here with Joseph. Is he struggling? Can I trust my brothers? And it wasn't until he saw how Judah responded that trust could be regained. And that's an observation from the silver cup regain trust. Now, the trust has been regained. And now Joseph is ready to reveal himself. He's ready to bring down the barrier. He's ready to become vulnerable again. By the way, sometimes this is flipped. If you've been the person to betray someone else, realize you're gonna have to regain. You're gonna have to rebuild that trust. And just because you say you changed, that doesn't mean necessarily they're ready to be vulnerable with you again. Because it, just like it takes... It takes years to erode trust. It takes sometimes years for trust to be regained. Now, following this period of time and these tests that Joseph had given his brothers, we see that Joseph is ready to reveal. He's he's a weeping Joseph, and he's, he's ready to give a big reveal. And I think we see here forgiveness, trust, and reconciliation all played out before us. So as we keep reading in Genesis 45, beginning in verse one, it says, Joseph could stand it no longer. He broke down and wept. And here's the reveal. I'm Joseph, your brother. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin. And Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of the brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. What do you see? I see true reconciliation There's been forgiveness, but there's also trust that's been regained. Now, my question as I wrestled with this passage is, what sustained Joseph during those difficult years? And what will sustain us during the difficult years where maybe we're waiting for reconciliation to be restored in a relationship? What's going to to sustain us during a tough season of life? I believe we can learn from Joseph. It's an unswerving trust in God. Joseph's faith in God allowed him to trust God even during the difficult times. I think if we would have asked him, Joseph, did it stink when you were thrown into a cistern? I would think he said, yeah, really, it was It was terrible. Joseph, did it stink when you were a slave, when you were falsely accused, when you were in prison, and when it appeared you were forgotten? Yes, yes, it, it was terrible. Joseph, what kept you going? What kept you putting one foot in front of the other? What kept you persevering, doing the right things, even when it seemed like nothing was going right around you? I think Joseph would have said to us, as he told his brothers I trusted that God was going to work through it all. That God had a purpose for my life. And eventually he would even use the bad stuff that had helped happen to my life. And maybe he was using that bad stuff to shape me and then eventually accomplish his purpose. Now that doesn't mean that bad stuff always directly comes from the hand of God. Now I'm not sure about your view of God, and if you can handle what I'm about ready to say, but, but my view of God, that he, he is the giver of good gifts. But God is also a giver of freedom. And sometimes, oftentimes, in the midst of human freedom, and as a result of human freedom in the world, bad stuff happens. Was it God's will for Jacob to show favoritism toward Joseph? I don't think so. But it's part of the story. Was it God's will for Joseph to be a bratty brother? I don't think so, but God used it. Was it God's will for the brothers to mistreat and to sell him into slavery? No, but God used that as well. You see, God is so great that he can even take that which is bad in our lives, that which stinks, and he can redeem it for good. There's bad stuff that happens in our world. There's bad stuff that happens in our lives. And here's the truth. The call for us is to be a people of faith that continue to put our trust in a God who can take that which is bad and look for how he might use it for good. Let's fast forward 17 years later after Jacob, who's renamed Israel, and his 12 sons who became the ancestors of the 12 tribes of Israel, all relocate to Egypt, and then eventually Jacob dies. Now now the coin is flipped. Now the 10 older brothers, they're nervous because now dad's dead. And maybe Joseph just act like he forgave us. Maybe Joseph just act like he trusted us. But now that dad's dead, maybe he's going to seek revenge. So they come up with a plan, trying to use maybe even some deception to try to make sure that Joseph isn't going to try to seek revenge. And I love how Joseph answered him in Genesis 50. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Did you notice that God had redeemed these relationships? How did the story begin? Joseph's brothers couldn't even say a kind word about him. How's the story end? Them speaking kindly to each other. God takes that which is broken and redeems it the only way that he can. I love how God takes that which is broken and redeems it to his glory. I believe God wants to do that in our lives. I believe God wants to do that in our relationships. There's another twist in the story. Judah is the brother who steps up to take the place of Benjamin, which is the turning point of the story from my read. Later, there would be one from the line of Judah who would also step up to take the place of someone else. I don't know if you knew, but Jesus descended from the line of Judah. In fact, sometimes he's called the Lion of Judah. And he's the one that steps up to take the place of someone else. You know who he stepped up to take the place of? Me and you. Some of you might say, man, bad stuff happens in life, and I don't know if I can keep trusting God. You want proof that you can trust God Look to the cross. God loves us so much, he said, I'll step up and make sure that somebody takes your place. Jesus says, I love you so much, I'll step up and take your place. That gives us confidence to trust God even when life stinks. That we can put our faith in the one who redeems, the one who takes that which is bad, and redeems it for good. Maybe there's some relationships in your life that God needs to bring redemption. Maybe through this story, you've seen a path for reconciliation. But I know in this story, we see God longs to redeem all of us. And let's make sure during this time of communion that we remember that God has gone to great lengths to reconcile us to him. Let's make sure we're doing everything within our lives to live a reconciled life with him, but also reconciled lives with others. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this story. It's so rich. There's so much there. Help us just realize your word points us to you and points us to redemption. Thank you that Jesus died so that we could be redeemed. Father, help us live reconciled lives, not only with you, and we know you took the first step, but help us seek reconciliation with others. Show us the path, Lord. Help us search our hearts, put our trust in you, and give thanks for redemption now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.